Thank you so much for listening to The Diana Show. I must say the last two or three weeks have been really interesting for me, and I've had such a rapid amount of learning because I've had the opportunity to talk to different people about how they feel about race relations in our country. Today's interview is the first out of a three-part segment. He and I talked for quite a while, so I had to break it up into three pieces. This is Devin Johnson. He's actually a friend of my husband's from right after college, and he is a most interesting person. As a matter of fact, I think he should have his own podcast, and I told him so. He is from a prominent black family who um, had the first black dentist in San Diego, just prominent leaders, um, also in the LA area as well. We're interested and educated in this area and has a big appetite for getting involved and has sent me a lot of great articles to read and has just been a great advocate and friend to come alongside myself and my husband, both of us, who want to become more educated and get in the fight. And he's just a great reminder that um, there's a lot of different ways to protest. You can get out with a sign and protest, or you can protest on social media, or you can protest by helping to educate others. So anyway, without further ado, I want to get to Devin. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Did you, when we were starting to talk about, um, there's that picture that has you and you said it was your cousins, right? Yeah. It's, um, my sis, me and my siblings, um, and cousins and some friends. And it was photo taken in the living room of my great uncle's house. Who okay. lived in um, National City down in San Diego, and he was um, what what I understand to be, if not the first among the first black dentists in in San Diego. Um, wow. And he has a long excuse me he has a long history in the city as an activist um, for civil rights, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there's there's he was a prominent figure in in san diego i mean i have there's a photo of him with jfk um he was kind of the center i guess a center of the cultural community here for african americans there are always a lot of things going on in this house from what i'm from what i'm told by my parents um and i grew up going there on occasion and his um house was really uh, really incredible down in kind of a tougher neighborhood Mm -hmm. um but he had an incredible library and then Mm -hmm. filled with all kinds of books and his house was filled with um african art he had a really extensive african art collection that he on occasion would loan to museums for really yeah and um well i actually took a african-american music course at ucsd when i was there and borrowed a lot of his artifacts musical artifacts and shared them with the class for one of my presentations and but from we're not we're not for that i don't know how it would have done well but i did get an a in that class one of the, yeah, old, one of the only I a's bet. i got in college i think <laughs> what was his name his name was dr jack kimbrough he was a um he was a real renaissance man and really uh yeah i mean when he 
he when he passed in the in the eighties there was um there I mean it was on the front page news. Really? Um, yeah. He, he had there's a police escort and he he was he was something else and he was always just a really gentle soul and had a twinkle in his eye and was always looking to educate and support. It was very he was a very interesting guy. Um so he was married to my, my dad's mother's sister so my um and they have from that lineage so my dad's mother comes from uh the nickerson family and um william nickerson jr was was my dad's great-grandfather or my dad's grandfather and he, he um moved out from texas to la and and, and started um, the largest black-owned insurance company in California. Wow! So, so he has quite a legacy on that side. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually, actually just reviewing this. Someone had, from the family had written a manuscript about his family and had done some genealogy, and it was mm-hmm. pretty interesting on that side. And so, if we go back far enough, both of their two grandfather great 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 i'm not sure how many greats but several greats mm-hmm. grandfathers were both white slave owners who had children with their slaves who later became free and those are part that's part of the black ancestry which i descend from so how old were you, you know, when you um when that was starting to be explained to you well, you, to, honestly, I only realized that within the last few weeks um, when I started digging into that manuscript. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sh- there has always been a lot of talk about the Nickerson family and how prominent they were in L.A. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as genealogy went, I, I didn't have any clue and no one had ever said anything to me about it. Um, but I found that rather interesting and now I'm trying to you know, collect and save that information and uh, whatever I can find for, you know, for my kids so mm-hmm. that they have an understanding of the legacy and their relationship with the black community and um, an understanding of where they come from. And it's, uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's a very weighty thing for me mm-hmm. to really grasp and and pass on um give especially given my current health situation i don't know how long i have to really um explain things to them from my perspective and pass on all that information because um i don't know my dad's in declining health and i don't know who else would be able to do that for them besides my wife who's um who's white um, mm-hmm. and she definitely has an appreciation for it, but doesn't have access to the information. Mm-hmm. So that's been, um, and then, and they're, and they're getting, as they're getting a little older, they're eight, uh, nine and 11. They really have a, a consciousness now of where they've, where they come from and um, affinity is probably not the right word, but they have, they are feeling, a real connection to to their black heritage right now, 
and try and it's interesting to see them express it through the black lives matter mm-hmm. movement not that they're involved in it but as, as far as um recognizing what it is and why it's important and how it relates to them and those types of things yeah can you give me some examples of how your kids have been affected i saw the um, signs i love that i love the picture of the kids with the signs it was adorable yeah they made their own black lives matter signs just out of uh, with their own initiative like that was not prompted or yeah um, encouraged in any way one afternoon they showed up with them um, wow yeah and they're they really even outside of this they have a very strong social conscience mm-hmm. um which i you know i think part of that is taught but part of it's also you know innate i think part of it's in, mm-hmm. ingrained to a degree and uh, you know i'd like to take credit for it all but i, I don't think i can they're they're pretty they're pretty unique kids and um the signs that they've made really kind of um made me open up my eyes a little bit to to see to acknowledge how uh how much of a conscience they had and uh sent the photo to my dad and it really moved him it did Uh, yeah and well not not only that he was proud last year in fourth grade my kids had a well davis my son had a um this class has uh, the entire fourth grade class presents a character historical character mm-hmm. in in character right so mm-hmm. they get to choose somebody and dress up and do a, do a talk on who this person is he chose martin luther king um, oh cool kind of uh, to me out of the blue right but i think some of the discussions that we've had over the course of the years uh, had resonated with him mm-hmm. and he came up with that on his own and made a speech and um, did the history and had the outfit and it was, it was really something special and um, meant a lot to me. And I know it meant a lot to, to my dad too. So I think that was very uh, telling about, who he is now do you and your wife make it a point to like watch watch appropriate movies with them like about black history or anything like that or did he just kind of come up that with that on his own i mean how has he become curious about yeah we've we've we we definitely talk about it and we've encouraged there aren't i don't think so many movies that are appropriate for kids in that that way yeah. that I think are that helpful. There are some mm-hmm. books that we found that, that worked well. Um, and I know one of the books that really um, made an impact on both of them was the, a book about Rosa Parks. And they both, they'll both reread that book to this day. Um, but it's something that, um, you know, I will talk to them about the things about our, about our family and about mm-hmm. um, context and about, equity uh mm-hmm. equality and those types of things but my wife's really the one who um makes it tangible mm-hmm. by bringing with with books or other learning opportunities um and opening discussions and 
and things like that. She's the intellectual. <laughs> so, um, so that's been it's been interesting, especially now um, with the protests, and they get very, uh, gosh, I'm almost emotional about when yeah. they hear about the indignities um, mm-hmm. that are being, gosh, gosh, placed on African Americans and and they get really worked up about it and and uh, you know it's as worked up as I do I think you know yeah. and they'll talk about it for a long time so it's it's really heartening to see that you know I know I know that that legacy is going to be carried on yeah that is really so, incredible to hear yeah um, and it, it, for me it's really important I mean I, I hate to cut you off there no, but I, I think for me, it's really important as something that I've I've carried with me as um, very light. I mean, I'm white. I pass as white, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, and most a lot of my dad's family did really too. Mm-hmm. Um, his father went to USC medical school, dental school. So my grandfather was a black dentist also. He was in LA, but I'm pretty sure that he was accepted as a white student there and was passing as a white student. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's so, two generations, you know, older than you, correct? Right, right. That right. Okay. Right. And so the whole family really is fairly light skinned. And for me, I've really, and you know, no one ever suspects that I'm black or African-American. They have no clue. So mm-hmm. and when I tell them, it's really kind of interesting to see what the response is. But yeah. My point is that I know this sounds may sound a little trite, but I carry a lot of guilt, you yeah. know, from having from being able to pass, for mm-hmm. not having to experience those things mm-hmm. um, that many other people do, and you know, cause, because I take pride in my ancestry and that history but I also benefit from not having to live it. Mm-hmm. And it's a real, it can, it can be a real conundrum for me sometimes, you know? So just knowing that I've at least passed on some of that uh, awareness to my kids means a lot. Cause that's really the only thing I can do. Just a, you know, you know, of course, as you know, being in my position, I've, reached out to my friends, my, my people of color and said, Hey, you know, what can I do? And most of, aside from reading books and having conversations, mostly what people say is talk to your kids, have regular conversations. Don't make it a one-time conversation. It's just like talking about sex or drugs or any of the things that you want your kids to um, know, you know, be knowledgeable about, you know, talk to your kids on a regular basis about how to treat people equally and kindly and lovingly and, how we're all created equal and deserve those equal benefits. And there's been a couple of conversations that I've had recently um, where I'm just sort of taken aback and blown away. And even I was reiterating it to Thomas and he was like, what? But, you know, like the conversation that I had with two women yesterday who said that not only do they have the quote unquote talk with their, their boys or their kids rather, 
but they also, you know, have trained their children. Like where I train my small children, if we're in a store, you don't touch anything because I don't want them to break anything, but they train their children. You know, you don't ever put your hands in your pockets in the store. And that's just, I mean, I mean, yeah. that's just totally foreign to me. I can't even imagine that. And they yeah, say, well, you know, this is what, how we live. You know, this is our life every day. Right. Right. And I mean, so those are some of the things that I, I have been that I've missed that haven't occurred happened to me, mm-hmm. but I understand that they happen every You're day. Aware because it's your family. Yeah, you've grown yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, and I, it's your and family I, members. And I, yeah, I, I mean, everybody that I, in my family on that side can tell me lots of lots of stories. You know about mm-hmm. how this is. You know, one of the videos that I had sent you about, you probably had seen it about uh, Emmanuel Acho is a former NFL player mm-hmm. describes in his video some of those instances where um, getting on an elevator, if there's somebody on there, a white person on there, he'll try and go and touch the number first where he's going and try and get off first. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't. So the people that he's interacting with or getting on the elevator with don't experience him as a threat or think that he might be a threat. Right. And just right. those subtle things that you have to turn on as soon as you leave your house. Yeah. You know, you have to start activating your, your white sensors <laughs> to mm-hmm. de-escalate any possible confrontation that may happen just because of the color of your skin. You know, and I think what we, what you're doing here and talking to your kids and talking to other people with different backgrounds is definitely the start of, you know, it's the beginning of the beginning, right? They, and what we alluded to earlier, conversations about other ethnicities and cultures, whether it's Mexican or Asian or um, Native American or what have you, where there's a sudden awareness of, hey, these people are also different than me. And they have gone through a whole other set of trials and tribulations that I still don't, that I don't understand. Right now, we're just talking about right now we're just talking about Black America and the interactions with White America, right? But I think you know it it could be a catalyst for even a more comprehensive understanding of. Well, it's certainly an interesting topic. Um, I was going to ask you. You know, you talked about having guilt. And then um, I know Thomas had said something about the term high yellow. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's like you say, yell- like in the South, they say high yellow. That's yeah. how I heard it when I lived in Atlanta. Yeah. And I had never heard of it um, up until I was in my mid twenties and I moved to Atlanta and it was explained to me that if your skin was lighter than a paper bag, then you were considered high yellow. And then if it was darker than a paper bag, mm-hmm. then you were considered black. Yeah, there's. Have you ever heard that? There, yeah, there's. I've heard of the the paper bag test for sure. Okay. Um, and do you? My understanding is. Um, I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, there's prejudice within the community itself, right? That mm-hmm. that that happens sometimes as well. But this is going back to the days of slavery, right? Where um, if you were lighter than a certain color, you're able to work in the house. And, oh, okay. And so you were able to work in the master's house, right? And if you were darker, mm-hmm. 
than you were you had to work in in the fields right and so i'm sure that naturally created some animosity because those those jobs were considered easier Um, Mm -hmm. but at the same time they also probably created danger because of um being the proximity to you know racist slaveholders who treated treated the women as as property and could do what they wished with them Mm -hmm. so you know it cuts both ways sure so high yellow is a term that i use yeah high yellow is probably how it was originally pronounced but the color because it's the color yellow is the Mm -hmm. reference and i kind of clung to that a little bit because of my complexion Mm -hmm. um and i just thought that it was a um a way to for me to kind of announce who I was without um, and make reference to who I was really without um, trying to claim something different, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually tried to trademark it, but they, uh, deter- they, they wouldn't let me do it because they said it was offensive, mm. which is because it's, but it's considered obsolete, I believe. Um, I guess back, that's probably um, personal opinion, I, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of resonated with me, you know, because it was a way for me to kind of claim it uh, as my heritage. I'm not sure where we left off, so I'm going to start over. But um, I think that the, the I don't know, juxtaposition or, you know, you can call it a lot of things, but this, you're kind of in some ways you and people who look like you are sort of an island onto your own in that, you know, you do, you know, you do have that heritage, but you can pass as white. And I talked to a lady yesterday who was saying, you know, uh, I've never felt like I'm black enough. I I'm slim. I'm tall. I have small hips. You know, I don't speak like, you know, when I was growing up, people would say, I don't talk quote unquote black. Mm -hmm. Um, her skin was light. And so there's a whole like kind of group of people who don't necessarily, you know, fit in with white people. And it sounds like you, you have passed, but some people feel like they don't fit in with right um, black people. And it's, it's interesting to talk to people from all sides of that coin. Yeah. I'm, there's, I mean, yeah, it's hard to really, I can't speak for them, but I can only imagine, um, how they they feel like there's no home for them mm-hmm. um, and that's that's got to be exhausting in its, in its own right you know because from the white perspective they're considered black and from the right. black perspective i mean i would say from the black perspective they're not considered white or black but th- i think that's a minority of people you know mm-hmm. i think I, th- I think that's probably most of the black community accepts them as black mm-hmm. right so I think, and this is just me, but that could be like my own guilt, right? So they might be feeling that way. They might be putting some of those thoughts into their own head. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't really, this is probably something we probably should cut out because I don't really feel like I should be speaking for other people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll cut that part out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but it, it is an interesting, you know, it is... Uh... I I mean, I guess it kind of makes me think about like, um, you know, you've got people who are uh, Hispanic and then they're 
you know, they're mixed with black or they're Hispanic and they're, I mean, almost, I gotta be honest with you, Devin, almost everyone I've talked to is something mixed with something else. Yeah. And on the one side, you know, they have mom who's Mexican saying, oh, mijo, or mija, don't worry, you're not black. Tell tell all the kids (laughs) at school you're Mexican because that, you know, to the mom was better than being black. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, um, and I think what's most interesting to me listening to all of it is that it's such a strong reminder of, you know, how we really are just all humans. And, you know, that, I mean, that's the bottom base, bottom denominator, you know, is that we all are human beings and that's what it all boils down to. It doesn't really matter what you look like. We should all be treated similarly. And, um, Man, what a, I mean, what a journey to get there. I don't know how to get there. I have no advice on how to do that, but. Yeah, well, it's um, talk, talking to your kids is the big, probably the biggest one because, you know, these prejudices are taught, you know, mm-hmm. not, we're not born that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, like you say, there are, there's racism between other groups. This is, you know, like you said, between Mexican and black and Mm -hmm. Asian and whomever and, you know, the Muslim world and um, not that's religion. I understand that, but the, yeah, like the Egyptians and people who, yeah, I see what you're talking about. I mean, everybody who's just because somebody looks different than you doesn't mean that they are different than you. Right. You know, it's, uh, it's really pretty, pretty pathetic when you, Kind of when it comes down to it, all it's all based on fear and the fear mongering that's been going on here in our country is outlandish and has obviously taken a turn for the worse, or at least you know reared its ugly head again right. um, in the last three and a half years. Um, yeah, and, and and being and been deemed acceptable, mm-hmm. right? and. and it, it's just incredible, you know, how when we were making this about all people, but you know, how many times um, the black community has to go, Hey, you guys are screwing us over again, but this still hasn't been fixed. And, you know, it subsides and it comes back and it gets squashed or quelled and keeps coming back and back and back. And I mean, uh, I, I want to think that we're at, um, the precipice where something is going to actually change. I mean, it, it, it feels hopeful, right? It does. It, it does. It feels helpful, but I think there's going to be a lot of hurt before the heal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's uh, sad and it's unnecessary, but that's kind of what's going to have to happen because people are going to have to get used to being comfortable with the uncomfortable yeah until we can break through you know i had a conversation and one of the the ladies we were you know we're having a you know good flow good conversation and we were talking about something about you know how white people i am realizing and myself included how much we just don't know like we don't realize that that's you know i get in my lane and i do my kids and i make muffins in the morning or whatever and I'm busy and I'm doing my life. And although I do volunteer and I feel like I'm a good person, I'm trying to raise good kids. I don't realize what other people who don't look like me might be facing unless it's like a massive, like the tragedy we had three weeks ago 
unless it's something like that. And that, you know, that pops up and I'm like, wow, that's so sad. And then I just kind of get back in my lane. And I think one of the things that really needs to change from my perspective for the people who look like me is that we really need to start reading some books, watching some documentaries, listening to some conversations and start having some uncomfortable conversations with people we work with and um, people we've been friends with and uh, people we just were friends with them, but we would never really talk about race because we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. So those conversations are so eye-opening and illuminating. And she said something to me. So we're talking and talking. And then she said, you know, but isn't it sad? Isn't it a bummer that black people have to have white people come alongside them or, you know, another race come alongside them and say, Hey, look what's happening to the black people. She's like, it bums me out so much that at this point we can't just be that for ourselves. And And I get that, like that level of pride where, of course, you know, why shouldn't she be able to have at this point have her race have been able to do that for themselves? And the kind of the anger and the hostility, I mean, I'm not saying she was anger or hostile, but I would feel pissed. Yeah. You know, I would feel pissed if I had been held down. People look like that look like me had been held down. I'd be pissed if my son couldn't go for a jog in a hoodie and I, without me worrying about him. Yeah. That pissed me off. So I, I get that. And I never thought about that before I had the conversation with her. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's very, I mean, it's, it's frightening when you think about what they have to, what people have to go through on a daily basis, you know, like we said, yeah. leaving your house and having to have a totally different mindset and walking on eggshells around yeah. other people. And, you know, the fact that, that, um, let's face it, it's, you know, the, the whites, white people won't, wouldn't, wouldn't or won't listen to the black people who are advocating for themselves. Right. And, and, and that's why the white people, whites, whites are needing to be involved today is because, Mm -hmm. because that establishment that's entrenched is uh, that, you know, they just refuse to listen. Oh, well, we know better. You know, right. how, how frightening is that? So, I, you, and you bring that up that, my, uh, funny enough, my, a person that I used to work with who's become, years ago, who's a, become a good friend of mine. I've known him for year, 20 plus years now. Mm-hmm. Um, he lives in Orange County. His yeah. dad played basketball at USC against my dad when my dad played at UCLA. Oh, wow. And we learned that, you know, and over the course of getting to know each other. Within the past couple of weeks, he told me that um, he had these interactions uh, one one particular evening with a group of his friends, and they were talking about the current state of affairs and, you know, race relations and the Black Lives Matter movement. And that several of his friends basically outed themselves and he was standing up for the protesters and talking about how we need to figure each other out and hear what everybody's saying. And they outed themselves and basically mocked him out of the room and, and and they, they tried to patch it up. Some, some people, you know, texted the next day saying, Oh yeah, you know, everything's cool. Um, 
you know, we just, we don't get it. We didn't get it. Or, um, you, you know, mean just, everything's cool. Like they understood his point of view and they were educated or everything's no. cool. Like we just want to sweep it under the rug. We want to just gloss over it. Like we're, we can still Oof. be friends. Yeah. And we'll just kind of pretend that never happened. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, he's like, these are people I've known for 30 years and I blame myself for not knowing them any better. And, yeah. you know, I, I can't, I can't consort with them anymore because I now I know who they really are. And yeah. to me, I mean, that that's as brave a stance as you can get, you know? Um, yeah. Those are having those uncomfortable conversations and but coming away empty handed. And there's yeah. going to, there's going to be that there's going right. to be a lot of that mm-hmm. um, until the tide can turn. And it's still, yeah. it's going to take a long time. Um, you know, but- I've been putting stuff up on my Instagram and I'm shocked by the amount of people that don't say, you know, Hey, I'm with you or, Hey, I see that including, you know, some members of my family that I'm kind of surprised not to hear from. And that's okay. I mean, it's okay. It's, it's fine. It's just surprising to me. And I don't know. I, I said that to my girlfriend, Jen, who's black. And she said, yeah, you got to check your friends. And I think that this has been kind of a friend, friend check for me in that I never have really taken a stand. I've been a good person. I feel like I'm a nice person. I've got plenty of friends, but um, what's been going on, I'm not okay with. And it's just time for me to open my mouth about it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like you said earlier, you know, you, you don't know what other people are going through. Right. So you've had no reason to have those conversations in the past. Right? No, not really. Cause, Cause we all leave, we all live in our bubbles mm-hmm. and unless we're confronted with it, there's no real reason to have a conversation. Um, I mean, there's, that doesn't sound right. There's tons of reasons to have the conversation, yeah. but once it's not placed in front of you, um, at the same time, you and a friend or whomever, there's not the impetus to have the conversation about. I told you he was an interesting guy, right? So this is number one, number two and number three should be coming out soon, but this is Devin Johnson. And I love how he was comfortable enough to let me sort of meander through my questions and comment on different things um, about how he's trying to raise his children to know their legacy um, about how he and his friends are having uncomfortable conversations and sometimes where you come away empty, unfortunately. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed, please subscribe and watch out for number two and three coming out soon.